creatives. Welcome to another episode of Unpublished. My name is Amy. I'm James. And today we have Jay Kristoff on the pod. He's the New York Times bestselling author of The Nevernight Chronicles and Empire of the Vampire, which was my favorite fantasy release of 2021, which is saying a lot because it was a Jeropacombi year. And that's a big thing for me. But Empire trumped a wisdom of crowds, which is awesome. And uh, unusually... I know, right? I'll have to tease you about that. Really, an obscure Australian podcast thought that the, one of the hosts thought that your book was better than mine. Jeez, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to quit. Like, oh, I'm going to quit. I'm giving up the game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be for the end of Joe Abercrombie's career. <laughs> that would make me very upset. So I hope that doesn't happen. It would make a lot of people very upset. <laughs> no, Empire was genuinely awesome. It got us through our second lockdown it last did. year. It did. We loved it. And we read it. I think. Oh, uh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah. It came yeah with so the you guys time. are. Sydney based, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Because like second lockdown for us in Melbourne was like <laughs> it was like April of 2020 or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we did 270 it. odd days of it. So yeah. did it pretty dark. I think yeah, I started around June, June July. Yeah. It's such a time warp, right? Like you just can't it, it's it all weird. melds into yeah. one. Everyone in Victoria I know lost lost a year. Mm, like yeah. just in their mental reckoning. It's like, oh, it's it's been like a year since I did this thing. Oh no, wait. It's actually been two because, yeah, we've had enough. Everyone's had enough. But it is so exciting to talk to an Australian author because I just feel like, I mean, obviously there are some amazing Australian authors out there, but you just, it seems like the Americans and the Brits get. Get a lot of airtime. Get more more airtime. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's probably just a function of math, really. Like we're only a nation of 24 million people. Um, Yeah. That's the population of New York State, so. I mean, in terms of ratio, I'm I'm sure there's as many of us writing fantasy or or whatever as there are from any other country, but we're just, just working from a smaller base. It can be a little bit harder depending on what you're pursuing, just because there's less money down here. We're we're a smaller nation, we have smaller audiences and therefore smaller budgets. So depending what you're trying to get into and where you're trying to launch from, that can make it a little trickier. Um like I, I feel really feel for people like in the music industry, for example, mm. particularly over the last couple of years. Yeah, trying to get out of Oz and break into international markets can be really tough. But at least in writing, the tyranny of distance isn't the limiting factor that it used to be, particularly mm. with the internet. Yeah, you know, you can as long as you're willing to stay up a little late to go to a Zoom meeting occasionally, it's not as tricky as it once was. So in yeah. that sense, sure. the internet has made doing the writing thing from here a lot easier than it was. Yeah, for sure. I think from our perspective, we wouldn't have a business like without the internet. I mean, essentially, you know, Amy's, right. Amy's self-pubbed and um, it's that's how she makes a living. And without sure. the internet, it's like that's something that probably wouldn't have been possible for us five, ten years ago. It's, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of great things that come out of the net. There's a lot of terrible things as well, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah in, yeah, in terms sure. of getting a message out to a broader audience, yeah, it's definitely made it a lot easier, so. Mm. Very lucky in that respect. I mean, I'm very lucky to be able to do something creative for a living in Australia anyway. It's, mm. it, it can be pretty hard. And there aren't many of us that are, that are lucky enough to be full-time authors. There's certainly a lot of authors, but not many people get to do it to the point where they get to quit their day job. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Mm. I think something um, that interested me in my research was seeing that Nevernight was your first book to really explode? And you attribute that to the fans, right? And yeah. The, the I mean, amazing response from the fans. Yeah. I, I did another series called Illuminae with another Melbourne author, Amy Kaufman. And mm. that that was 
that was <laughs> we were a little bit naive at the time, but that that was the book that let us quit our day job. Yeah, like it, it gave us enough of an advance that we could comfortably quit and you know survive for a couple of years, and that got a very big push from our publishers because they spent a bit of money in the acquisition of it and. Usually not always, but when a publisher spends a chunk of money acquiring a book, they'll also spend a chunk of money marketing it. Mm. So Illuminate got a really big push and it did pretty good. Um, it was it was a life-changing book. Yeah. But Nevernight was like the complete opposite. Like Nevernight was Illuminate is a YA series, Nevernight is not. It's kind of adult fantasy, even though it gets lumped in with YA quite a bit. I always wrote it with the intent that it was adult fantasy and the publisher that I'm with are an adult publisher. But the experience on Nevernight was the exact opposite of, of Illuminae. Like my publishers paid almost no money for it. <laughs> I had this, I had this experience where I accidentally got well, and it, the co- topic of an email chain had changed over the course of the change, and at some point I got looped in on it, and I was kind of scrolling back. I don't know no, why I was scrolling back through the email, and originally it had been a conversation with the sales department about their expectations for them and how many copies it was going to sell. And they didn't have high hopes for the series at all. Um, so that was a bit of a kick in the guts to, to know this thing that I'd worked my ass off on. Yeah. Do you think that was just because of that on arrival? It was an adult fantasy with a 16-year-old girl as the protagonist? No, like what their expectations were. Yeah, they're just the sales expectations. No, it was probably, probably based on my previous series. So I did a right. series before called Lotus Ball, which, you know, that did okay, but it didn't set the world on fire. Um, mm. And the only metric they have to judge your performance on is previous performance. So, yeah. Mm. You know, the Lotus Ball sold X and they are presuming that Nev and I would sell around about X. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, there's nothing personal. It's just business. It's just the math. Yeah. Yeah. But Nev and I was a weird one in that, it just built up a really amazing fan community around it. And the people who it's a, it's a pretty divisive book. It's one of those books where you love it or you hate it, but the people who love it, like love it. Mm-hmm. Like they get the words tattooed on their bodies for life mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So the, the fans who kind of got behind it, they just kind of became an army and they went out and talked about it at every opportunity and word kind of slowly spread. So instead of this big, opening burst like happened on Illuminate. Nev and I was just this slow boil that kind of built over the course of book one and two. Mm. When God's Grave came out was when my publishers first started to notice it. And I got this weird email from my agent at the time. He was like, oh, I've just heard from your editor in the US and something weird is happening on Nevernight. Like your sales are going up and up and up every week, which is not what happens. Like traditionally you'll sell mm. X on the week of launch and then there'll be a, a percentage of X every week thereafter. But Nevernight was doing the opposite of that. So he was like, oh, cool, this, congrats, because this never happens. Like it's what you want to happen, but it never does. And so by the time Dark Dawn came out in the third book, it had become this international bestseller um purely by word of mouth like there was no publishing push there was no marketing budget there was no ads there were a couple of special editions but they were like print runs of 200 Mm -hmm. um it it was purely a groundswell word of mouth movement and for on the back of those readers yeah by the time dark dog came out it was the whole series was an international bestseller so that was an amazing experience yeah um and i'm yeah forever grateful for those readers like yeah, I mean, yeah, you put a lot of, of nothing. 
for sure. I mean, you put a lot of effort into interacting, interacting with your fans though. Like, you know, you're very active on your socials and, you know, I mean, I, I've messaged you on Instagram a few times and you've messaged me back and I've been like, well, oh, I didn't, you know, I didn't <laughs> expect that. You know, you message most big authors and they're not going to, they're not going to reply to your DM. So I don't want to open you up to maybe you don't do that anymore. <laughs> No, you don't do that anymore, but you know. It, no, I, I do. Like I, I make an effort. Instagram is the only place I do that. Mm. I don't I don't do it on Twitter. I fucking hate Twitter. Um, Ditto. It is the prolapsed anus of humanity, that place. Yep. Um, and the sooner it dies, the better. But I like Instagram. And it's a lot more positive over there. Um, yeah. So that's the place I choose to kind of make myself available. And, yeah, like I want readers to know that I'm grateful for it. Like I got yeah. the, the most amazing job that I've ever had in my life. Uh, yeah. And the people, I don't want to forget the people who got me there and I don't want to take them for granted. And I, and I don't want to, I don't want to expect that they will always be there. You know, yeah. they, they mm. kind of let me do this amazing thing. And so I want them to know that I'm grateful for it. So yeah, that's, that's my I little love gesture. That. I try and make myself available. Yeah. yeah that's really it's, a, it's a weird thing and it can be a dangerous thing. Like, Mm. letting people too far in uh, you have to uh, yeah, obviously maintain a bit of distance but yeah I'll, I'll have a laugh and make a joke and someone yeah. will send me something funny and yeah it's yeah. cool it's fun um and like i say instagram the vibe on instagram tends to be a lot more positive yeah twitter mm. tends to be a lot it trends negative but i don't know why that is i'm sure there's yeah it's interesting psychologists and yeah, sociologists yeah. out there doing studies of it right now but yeah that's yeah i wonder if it's because anyway. you know on twitter you can shoot back at someone much more visibly, right? So you can be like, oh, that you can you make people go, how cool am I going to be if I have a hot take that someone else it's very sees hot or something? Yeah, it's yeah. very hot take, it, I think. Yeah, it's it's far more performative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's like you're acting for the crowd. Um, yeah. And everyone is everyone is uh, a more amplified version of themselves. Yeah, like yeah. Everyone's sure. kind of striking a pose, whatever that pose might be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't spend a lot of. I don't spend heaps of time on it either. I think Amy doesn't. No, I I, I hate it. I really hate it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the worst invention in the twenty first century. Yeah, yeah. I forget some pretty stiff competition. Yeah, um, I'd love to talk about your transition from um, I call it like muggle work, like non creative work, to being a full time author. And oh, sure. And like what that was like for you and, you know, what was that transition like? Uh, is, it, what, is it what you wanted? Like how was uh, writing alongside of doing, you know, regular work? Because for so many of our listeners, that's where we're at at the moment, you know, perhaps wanting yeah. to make that, making that transition to full-time creating, but still in that hard balancing act of almost living two lives at once, trying to, you know, write or create alongside regular work. Yeah, doing two jobs. Yeah, yeah. I did that for ages. Um, I, I started, I mean, I, I just, I've always kind of done creative work. I started mm. working in advertising. So I studied at uni, I studied graphic design. Mm. And for a job, I was an art director in advertising agencies. So for those of you who don't work in ads, they have a department called the creative department, literally. Um, and creatives work together in teams. There will be a copywriter or an art director, and the copywriter does the words, and the art director does the pictures in a mm. broad brushstroke kind of sense. And I was the pictures guy. That's but funny. if you're kind of if you're good at your job, you will you will kind of dip your toe into both ponds. Yeah. And so that was where I started. But the, and advertising was a great job for a lot of years. I did that for like thirteen years. But the problem with it is that you're a servant of many masters, and you're using your creative talent or energy or however you want to think of it to kind of sell people shit that I need. Yeah. 
yeah. money that I have, you know, like you're selling toilet paper and cars. To yeah, people. yeah. Not, not all that fulfilling, I guess. And you're not in control of your own destiny. Like you can write the best idea that you've ever written, the best script that you've ever done, and it'll get shot down. Yeah. In market research or in a focus group or because the client got stuck in traffic and was in a shitty move when yeah. he showed up for the meeting that day or whatever. Like you have no control. Uh, and that's why I have so few good ads on TV. Like the people who write ads are usually pretty good at it, but they just get killed. Online. Yeah, interesting. So many, so many hurdles that a good idea has to jump to actually get made. And so, I think it's so obvious when it happens. You know, like um, I don't want to throw shade at specific movies, but you know, we all know the movies <laughs> out there that get made by committee, and you kind of just think, oh yeah, oh yeah, why did no one, you know, or you know, why did no one put any heart into this? I think or. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it just gets drained out. It gets yeah, killed by committee, like you're saying. Mm. Like you can, like the, probably the most successful properties, particularly in the realm of film and television, the properties that you love the most probably had one or two people behind yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And they had a vision and they had a mandate from the people with money to make it what they wanted to yeah. be. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. The, the, the bigger the thing, the more chance it has of getting destroyed in committee. Um, but, yeah, if you, if you have one person with ability and power, then you'll probably get something pretty good if, yeah. that, if yeah. that person is a good writer. Like yeah. something like Breaking Bad, that's just that's just Vince Gillian. Right? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. his baby. Um, so, yeah, it's, yeah, that is not usually the case. So yeah. when I was working in ads, I wanted something that was kind of entirely mine. And mm-hmm. so in my spare time, I started writing a scene. It was a weird way I fell into it. Like I didn't, I had always read and I always wrote, but I never actually thought I could be an author. Mm-hmm. One day I had an idea for a scene and I just started writing it. And over the course of a few weeks, that scene became a chapter. And over the course of the next 18 months, that chapter became a book. And I didn't tell anyone that I was doing it. I didn't even tell my wife that I was writing because Mm. I didn't think I would finish. And I thought it was kind of a silly thing to be doing with my time. Uh, Mm. But I fell in love with the process of going somewhere that was entirely mine, even if it was only for an hour a day. I could get away from the bad clients and the annoying market research and whatever else and go somewhere where I was in charge. And if yeah. it sucked, that was because I sucked. And if it was good, that was because I was good. Uh, like I yeah. didn't have any excuses, didn't have anything where to hide. And yeah, kind of for the next five years, I kind of worked two jobs. Like mm. all my free time got given to writing. I was lucky enough to get a literary agent and I, I got a book deal. It wasn't you know life-changing money, so I still had to work my day job. And, yeah, for the next five years, I was basically working two jobs. So yeah. I would get home, get home from work and walk the dog and spend an hour staying married to my wife and then I would yeah. go into the study and write until 2 o'clock in the morning mm. and then get up at 6 o'clock the next day and do it all again. I did that yeah. for like five straight years and weekends weren't weekends. They were just writing days. I didn't go yeah. out. I didn't do anything. Yeah. So I just like no life that shit for like five years. But, yeah. I think something I ran. I want to talk to you about, which I'm a bit wary to talk to you about because so many of our authors, you know, struggle to just write a hundred words a day and, and they look at people who have big word counts and, and I think that stresses them out a little bit, but you're in this kind of sure. box of uh, like, kind of like Brandon Sanderson, like you just seem to be pumping them out. And, you know, I th- I've seen you, someone, maybe it's on your website. You say that you get, sometimes you get up to 4,000 words a day, or often you get up to 4,000 words a day. And I think it's just like, how do you manage 
not just getting drained of energy. I think even if you love doing something, you do it for that much and you've got to have things in place to stop you from burning out basically. You do, yeah. I've, I've certainly slowed down. 4,000 word a day is very rare these days. I Nowadays I aim for between, two, well, I usually get between two and three. Two and a half thousand is a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I view it like, I mean, it's like going to the gym. Yeah. It's mm. like something that you do even if you don't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, because it's good for you. I mean, yeah. I do it for a job now. So I also, I have editors and deadlines and obligations yeah. and whatever. So that makes it a little easier as well. Um, when you're your own boss and you don't have a, a deadline or, or a book that you've sold into somebody, you have to be a little more self-motivated. Mm. Uh, but I guess I, I used to view it like going to the gym. I would do it even if I didn't want to because it was yeah. good for me and because I was working towards something that I really wanted. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 it is a million to one shot, but it's, it's that lame saying, like you miss every shot that you don't take. Like unless mm. you aim for something big, you're never going to get there. Yeah. And that is part of the battle, like convincing yourself that the work is worthwhile. Mm. Everybody who is involved in a creative endeavour will at some point find themselves, you know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and you've got to get up for work at six o'clock the next day and you've just spent four hours in your study giving imaginary people imaginary problems with no real hope of anything ever coming of it and you'll look yourself in the eye and ask yourself if you're crazy to believe you can like and you just have to nod and say yeah you might be but it's uh, it's a shot that i'm going to take it's yeah i love it's a silly and sometimes cliched thing to say but yeah you yeah. Unless you try, you're not going to do. Unless you shoot, you're not going to win. So yeah. go ahead I mean, and shoot. I was just applying for some kind of writing mentorship program. And, and one of the questions was, what do you love most about writing? And I said, it just makes me, f- like, when I sit down to write in the morning, if it, I come away feeling better. And right. Yeah. And it's just, no matter what I'm, what I'm going through, if I don't write in the morning, I just have a shittier day every time. Sure. And if I yeah. can do it for an extended period of time, I have a shittier week and then I have a shittier month and then I have a shittier year. So it's like, this is, as you said, like going to the gym, it's same thing with, it's basically the same feeling I get when I don't go to the gym for a week. It's right. It's really important to me. And it feels, I don't want to say a part of me because it sounds cliche, but it's even as an unpublished no, it's, amateur it's author, it's so good for me. I love it. It's so fun. It does, it does become part of your identity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does become a metric by which you measure yourself. And yeah, you do feel bad if you slack off. Mm. Um, but I mean, think of all the things you could do with your time creating something. It doesn't necessarily have to be writing. You know, you could be writing music or a play or Mm. learning to be a photographer or whatever. Mm. Like, even if you have very little chance of one day being able to do it for a living, even if that's the metric by which you choose to judge success, it's a, it's a hell of a lot better way to spend your time than, playing fucking Candy Crush or some shit like yeah, that, yeah. like sure. sitting clicking Facebook or doom scrolling through Twitter or whatever, like you're creating something. And even if nobody ever sees it, it's still a worth, more worthwhile use of your time than sitting in front of the idiot box, mm. clicking on some rando's hot takes on Twitter, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. That's, a, that's a worthwhile endeavour. It's, it's something that you can devote your life to and feel a sense of fulfilment from. Because you're creating something, you're putting something back into the world. Even if you're the only one who ever sees it, 
that's still something worthwhile. That's a worthwhile use of your time. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's good that you. It's good that it makes you feel good. That means you. That means you're an addict. Like you're you're, you're getting something out of it. But yeah, yeah, it is. It's an incredibly positive thing to be doing. Mm. And also, like, because you because it does feel good for you each day, James. Like you can keep doing it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not yeah. going to feel like it's taxing. Yeah. yeah I, think, I also yeah, like, I mean, you know, I'm not a professional, so I don't. I'm not going to spend five hours a day doing this, but I'll spend an hour in the morning, and it make me feel good. And so, yeah, worth, so and- worth it. And you spend you spend an hour a day to get five hundred words in that hour. Exactly. Like before you know it, you have a book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's not that many words in a book. Like why yeah. a novel's like ninety thousand words or whatever. So mm. you, if you're putting in five hundred words a day, pretty soon you will have a novel. That's all yeah. we do. Both, might- both me and James, it's a five hundred word a day every day. And James, yeah. has ri- James has written three novels, and I've written four. It's five, literally five hundred yeah. words a day. So good. Yeah. Yeah, if you're if you're working five days a week, that's two and a half thousand words a week. Yeah, like you have a book in a year. Yeah, easy. So good. so yeah, every every book gets written one word at a time. That's a cliche as well, but it's absolutely true. So yeah, yeah. But the, the I see a lot of people talking about word count and yeah. their productivity over the course of the day, and measuring themselves by other people's word counts. Yeah, mm. a compar- comparison. It's the thief of joy, as they say. Like you don't, you don't want to measure yourself by other people. You want to measure yourself by where you were a year ago. Yeah. Um, like even if you're not doing more words now, you're probably doing better words. You're yes, probably writing exactly. better stories. You're probably building better worlds than you mm. were a year ago. Like you just get better the more you do it. It's like anything. It's like riding a bike. It's like playing guitar. The more you practice, the better you'll get. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there's virtually, virtually nothing you could do that we spend. What is it? Three hundred sixty-five hours a year and you won't get better at it by the end of it and you want to improve yeah absolutely absolutely Mm. so yeah it's it's best not to compare yourself to other people especially someone who's doing it full time yeah yeah because you know the worlds are completely different and and you know i've been doing this for 10 years now you don't want to compare yourself like if you just pick up your guitar for the first time you don't want to look at a person who's been playing it for 15 years and touring around the world and saying oh i'm not as good as him so Mm. i suck you want to compare what you could do yesterday and if you're mm. better then you're improving and that's all mm. that matters and one day you'll get there so yeah yeah agreed yeah agreed so you were saying that when you started out you maybe pushed a little bit harder but now you've have you got some, is it is the reason that you potentially are writing less words because you've got maybe a more sustainable practice or, or like how are you sustaining yourself around your writing um the stuff i'm doing is harder ah, yeah so interesting. Uh, I'm working on the second Empire book. Yeah. The first Empire book was the hardest book that I ever wrote, and the second one is no, no less. <laughs> um, just because I'm writing kind of bigger scope and bigger word yeah. count, you know. Yeah. Empire was 240,000 words, uh, which was, you know, probably Massive. third again as long as anything that I've done. And the yeah. second book will be as big, if, if not bigger. Um, so there's just an additional level of complexity to it. Yeah. And... You've got, you got multiple I, timelines and I mean, it's, yeah. all, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot going on and I, I always try to do something that will push me. Like I don't want to be resting on laurels and just and yeah. doing something that I've already done. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Empire, I, I described Empire as it felt like going up a weight grade at the gym, you know, like mm, you're doing, yeah. you know, 20 kilos or whatever it is. 
and you're cruising through your reps and you put five more kilos in the bar and it's like you've never picked up anything in your life. You're dead after five girls. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's what Empire felt like. I was I was pushing at a different weight grade. Yeah. So yeah, it just it just means I go a little bit slower. But I'm also not working on as many projects. Like mm. some of that pace that I was running at, you know, three or four years ago was dictated by necessity. Like mm. I had three books yeah. under contract. And so <laughs> if you don't do it, you get into trouble. Uh, so, but at the moment, Empire is the only stuff that I have under contract. So I can, I can roll a little bit slower than I used to. Do you like that? Um, is it better going slower for you or do you prefer the pressure? Uh, I don't know. My wife will tell you that I'm a lot less stressed than I used to be. Okay, great. So, so your <laughs> wife I, enjoys it. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah. When I was working on three books, I don't recommend anyone <laughs> anyone put out three books in a year. Like just yeah. don't do it. It, it kills you. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, have, I, just, I guess I have more time, you know, yeah. for other stuff. Uh, and I also think taking time to recharge batteries and kind of yeah. absorb other people's work and whatever is really important as well. Mm. You, it got to the point where I was so used to being busy all the time, I had to actually learn how to take downtime again. Mm. Yeah. Because at one point there, I was just working seven days a week, like 10 hours a day, just full on. Yeah. Uh, and I had forgotten how to actually just sit and read a book. <laughs> yeah. Fun. I mean, it, one, of the, one of the things you'll notice you can't really read for fun anymore. If you're a writer, you're always yeah, you critiquing can't. and dissecting. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that's the same if you're a filmmaker or a musician. Yeah, or yeah. Uh, but I, I still think it's really important to kind of refill the creative well. Uh, mm. Otherwise, you will burn yourself out. So I have more time for that kind of stuff as well. Great. Which is good. Great. So important. So important. Yeah, it is. I had a few random questions, which we might get back to the more serious topics in a second. But um, sure. you're an F, you're F1 fan, aren't you? Yeah, speaking of Massive how F1. we spent did our you, downtime. Did you go to the um, yeah. F1 when it was in town? No, I didn't. Uh, ironically, it, I think it's a better sport on telly than live. I, like, I, I thought that, yeah. yeah. I don't want to sit if there for hours and watch cars just go around a track. I mean, I don't know if the races go fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like if you're on the straight, maybe, like you would get to watch the checkered flag and you get a more uh, get a longer run of cars. But if you had a corner, like you're just seeing yeah. cars flip by at 200 k's an hour. And the best I had a friend went and... She said it was amazing. Like the atmosphere is awesome. Yeah. So next year, I think we will go just to kind of soak it up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just, I think it's like going to the cricket. Like I went I, I went with a mate to the MCG. I hadn't been to a cricket match. I lived in Melbourne for almost twenty years, and I'd never been to see a cricket match at the G. But we went there for a mate's birthday. And weirdly enough, I I was just kind of watching the screen the whole time. <laughs> like there's a big yeah. screen up on the side yeah. of the oval. And so what the fuck am I at the at the gym for? <laughs> I, I, know, I know exactly. In air mean. conditioning. It's like I'm sitting here melting in the sun, drinking yeah. mid-strength beer yeah. and okay. watching cricket on the telly. <laughs> yeah, you want to be in the comfort of your own home. They, I agree. I've just stopped going background. to live sport. I just think yeah. if I want to watch yeah. a movie, it's just better. Like I've got a beautiful, you know, 4K TV here. My, sure. It's almost better than my own eyes. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it would be. My, my eyes aren't great. So if I was track-sided yeah. F1, like the cars are going super fast and my eyes aren't awesome. But my, my friend said the Atmo was awesome, like just yeah. kind of soaking in the crowd yeah. and stuff. And it's about the um, characters, right? It's about it's the- It's a story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Someone said to me, they were like, oh, I, I'm only into F1 now because I watched um, Drive to Survive and now I understand, then, like, it's the best sport because it's the sport with- you know, we get to know the characters. I'm like, that's all sport. Like, I don't care about like <laughs> team A playing team B if I don't know any of the players or the story behind them. It's all about the story. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I got into the sport through drive survival, so um, and my my wife has got so, into. Oh yeah, it we like, did too. We did too. <laughs> yeah, like- sure. There and there, there is kind of a soap opera element, and like you're watching a reality TV show, so some of it is edited for effect. I'm sure yeah. what you're seeing, yeah. what actually happened, is you know the two degrees of truth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there is a, a cool level of drama to the sport. I think maybe because there are less athletes involved like there's only 20 yeah. drivers so it feels kind of like an intimate circle of people whereas if you're in a footy team or whatever there's there's like you know two dozen guys on each side and there's Group. a dozen teams in the league so it's a lot harder to keep track of those personalities unless they're yeah. the really big yeah, ones yeah yeah that's whereas a really good point. everyone in f1 is kind of a personality yeah plus no- there's an aussie there like yeah watching Daniel Ricciardo, like w- watching any Aussie kind of punch on a world stage, so no matter what the stage is, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of my favourite moments in all sport was on the Drive to Survive season, the one that just happened. Daniel Ricciardo is sitting there and he's had a bad race and his, I don't know, mindset coach goes, you know, get, you'll get through it, don't worry, chin up. And he's like, you're just got to think about who you want to be. Like, who are you inside? And he's like, well, what if I'm just a cunt? <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like <laughs> we all think that, right? <laughs> The question was, yeah, that's the question was, who are you when you're at your lowest? And he was like, what if I'm just a cunt at my lowest? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. yeah I mean, we've all been there, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I am certainly that way when I'm at my lowest. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, it was brilliant. And I, I've also, yeah, you, it's great. I've heard you say before that, was it some blood, the Bloodborne aesthetic or the Dark Souls aesthetic was somehow involved in, in Empire? Or there was some, yeah. I'm a big FromSoft set fan. So I was just wondering if you. Oh, amazing. Yeah, no, like we took, when I was uh, working with Bon, who's the illustrator, mm. uh, I would send her, the way the illustrations worked, I would send her a clip from the book, you know, a page of text and saying, this is kind of, this is the scene you're illustrating or this is the character you're illustrating. And I would occasionally send her kind of mood board stuff or visual inspiration. Like I, because uh, I'm from a visual arts background, I tend to start from a visual point in my head when I'm building a world or a character or whatever. Um, and I'll, you know, when I was working with Bon, I would go and look for stuff that matched those visions in my head. And a lot, yeah. of, a lot of the visual aesthetic that I drew for the Empire world was from, yeah, Bloodborne and and Dark Souls, just because it's ultra goth and yeah. super dark and super scary and grim. Like I wanted to build a world that was you know, on the brink of collapse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's very much the aesthetic and, and the mood in those games. So whenever I was sending her architecture shots or wardrobe shots or whatever, inevitably a Bloodborne or a Souls shot would get thrown in with the yeah. mix, uh, just so she knew what I was talking about. Have you, I, uh, think, I think she's actually played Bloodborne now. So. <laughs> <laughs> have you uh, dipped your toe into Elden Ring at all? No, I don't have a PS5. Uh, They're hard yeah. to say. Is, if you're trying to get anything done with your life, don't yeah no i've heard that as well yeah no i'm gonna wait until i lost a month i'll wait until book two is done before i even go i saw um i saw pierce brown tweet the other day that his motivation to get his finish his current trilogy was that his editor said he's allowed to play elden ring i was like that's pretty cool (laughs) oh when he's done yeah sure that's that's pretty good yeah it's like getting a cookie at the end of doing whatever gets you through yeah whatever gets you through yeah Yeah. i have heard i have heard it is a life stealer so yeah and i Um, used to i used to play way too much world of warcraft before i was a a writer yeah writing was what i decided to do instead of wowing it's weird. So I, have I, I feel like the same kind thing. Of compulsive Since I've started writing, I haven't 
I haven't played as many games, probably. You're making your own world. No. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it becomes a matter of what's more important to you. Like, yeah. do I want to go and spend an hour in front of the computer killing pixels or do I want to get 500 words down? Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, like when you start, when you find yourself thinking about it like that, you know you've caught bug. Like everything yeah. becomes an opportunity cost. I could go to the pub with my mates. Mm. and watch the cricket or I could stay home and get 2,000 words yeah. and everything becomes kind of a negotiation. And it is important that you still you know, maintain yeah, yeah. a degree of social content, don't become a hermit who just lives in your basement writing words all day. But, yeah, ev- everything becomes a trade-off. Mm. Uh, and, yeah, at the end of the day, playing video games becomes way less important than the words, at least mm. for me. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that, that actually became what I was saying when I was trying to learn how to relax and take mm. a day off kind of stuff, video games was kind of the way I crept back into that a little mm. bit because I, had, I hadn't played a video game in like four or five years. Yeah. yeah. So now I've got this great stack of games that everyone played two or three years ago. Like I, I haven't played Skyrim. I mean, oh, Skyrim That's how far behind I am. <laughs> Even I've played Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everyone has except me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think you play it on. You can play it on Siri now, can't you? Or something. Or like you play it on your Google Home. I don't know how it works. I, I think it would be oh, terrible. Real? I, I, maybe there was a series where the, a, a time where there were maybe there were a series of jokes coming out about how you can play Skyrim or anything. It may have been a joke. <laughs> would you okay. play it on right. Siri? Yeah. But you know, it's like one of those old text games where maybe uh, maybe where you're like, I go right, I go left, I do this, I do that. Yeah, I can. You're right. I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I will play Elden Ring eventually. It looks amazing. And yeah, I'm a massive FromSoft fan. I, I love that style of game. Games so. can be a really good one for um, creatives to play because you're creating your own story in a way as well. And you can kind of, like, you get a little bit of that creative element, in my view. And I have just, I find myself having quite a few ideas when I'm playing, especially good games, like good games that tell a good story. Um, and yeah. Games, and games, it, yeah. Even if, uh, you know, even if it's visual cues or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, particularly for visually minded, like I am that can set balls rolling in your head and who knows where they will end up. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things I try and do as often as I can is do stuff that it's kind of like, you remember that episode of Seinfeld where George Costanza said yes to everything he was compelled to say. Yeah, no yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. And his yeah. life like completely turned yeah. around. Yeah. I, I try and do that as often as I can. Like someone will say, do you want to come do X or, my wife will say, do you want to watch why? If my immediate reaction is to say, no, I'm not interested in that. I force myself to say yes, just so you're opened up to new experiences. Because if you just watch the same stuff and listen to the same yeah. music and hear the same films, you'll have the same kind of input from the same group of people over and over again. Mm. Whereas if you open yourself up to new experiences and art and whatnot, inspiration can come from anywhere and opportunity can come from anywhere as well. Like I love that. The best, the best story I have to illustrate that I had you know I announced Empire of the Vampire like 20, 2017 or something ages ago and as soon as I started talking about it I had a bunch of readers because probably like 80% of my readership up to that point particularly on Evernight was female mm-hmm. and so I had a bunch of readers found out that I was writing a vampire book and they were telling me that I needed to watch the vampire diaries I don't know if you've watched the vampire diaries it's like a CW series it's a high school girl and two beautiful vampire brothers who are both in love with her. Great. My, little um, sister was, my little sister was really into it. <laughs> sure. 
Uh, and I was like, these readers were telling me, you've got to watch it. I'm like, I'm not watching the fucking Vampire Diaries. Like, yeah. I am not the target market for that show. Like, I have nothing against it inherently, but I'm just not that guy. Like, it's not for me. But then I had a couple of writer friends also tell me that the writing on it was actually really good and, and the plot and world building and some of the twists and whatever they put in there is worth my time. So I'm like, ah, oh, okay, I'll do the Costanza thing yeah. and I'll say yes, even though I'm compelled to say no. So I sat down and watched like uh, I watched the first four or five seasons of Vampire Diaries, and it is actually really good. Like from a from a world building and show running perspective, it's really well crafted in the sense that the people who are writing it, Julie Pleck and Julie Pleck was a showrunner, and Rebecca Sunshine was like one of the chief writers. They did a really great job of never losing sight of the central premise of the show, which is the love triangle, basically mm. between the two vampire brothers and the high school girl. But they exert different pressure on it from different. That's cool points over different seasons Mm. but they never actually break the structure so they keep making it interesting and changing it around but they never lose sight of what they're doing that's actually really hard to do Mm. particularly like there's 25 episodes in every season and after season five it hadn't broken yet so they did a really good job of managing it and yeah like the writing on it is really good if you approach it from it's a cw romance like you have to excuse some of the tropes (laughs) But the the point of the story was years later, um, there's an actor on The Vampire Diaries, a dude named Joseph Morgan, who played one of the villains. He's like the, the hot villain, Klaus. Nice. He's a massive Grimdark fan. Like he reads Grimdark novels all the time. And he was on Twitter one day and he said, I just finished Joe Abercrombie's series. I think he read First Law. Uh, what should I read next? And a reader of mine jumped on. She was a fan of his, and she said, you should read the Nevernight series by Jay Kristoff. Uh, and I made, I made some joke. I had just watched an episode where Joseph's character had drowned somebody's mum in a fountain or something. And so I made a joke to that effect and didn't think anything of it. And he followed me on Twitter. I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And I shot him a message. I just shot him a DM. I'm like, hey, man, you don't know me, but... Weirdly enough, I have a vampire book coming out in like four weeks. This was like August last year or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I've got a vampire book coming out in four weeks. Screamed up, you might like it. Do you want to read it? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll read it. He sent me his agent's address. And so I sent him off a copy and I didn't think anything of it. I, I thought he was just being polite. And then like four weeks later, he's tweeting. He's like 7 million Twitter followers or something. And he's like, I'm 440 pages into this book. And I think it's the best vampire book that i've ever read oh and then like a week later he said i just finished and yeah this book is a masterpiece and it's like the best vampire book i've ever read and i know a thing or two about vampires (laughs) that's so cool and i was like fuck that's amazing but the point of that story was if i had of been that dick who said vampire diaries is for girls and i'm not going to watch it i wouldn't even known who that dude was when yeah yeah amazing but instead i I like I said, I won't be the dick. I'll try something different. Mm. And it opened me up to knowing who this guy was and opened up the opportunity to have him tweeting about the book to like 7 million That's people. So, cool. so like, so cool. you, nev- you never know where opportunity or inspiration or whatever will strike you. So yeah. the and lesson I-, I really learned from that was be open to weird and new things, even if you think you're not going to like them. And I think even, you know, stories that people say are bad. Like, let's talk about Twilight. Like, that did so- clearly did something right. Fuck I, yeah. yeah like, I did, I've, so I've never right. even seen it. I've never even seen it. So yeah. I can't say whether it's good or bad. Well, I, I can say it's good because it sold 
exactly. more copies than the Bible. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, the market doesn't lie. Obviously, the author tapped into something yeah. primal in that audience. Yeah. But more importantly, like there's so many people I meet nowadays, you know, they're, they're in their mid-20s now, who started reading because of Twilight yeah. or yeah, Harry exactly. Potter similarly. Yeah. Like yeah. it was a gateway drug into the world of spec fic. Yeah. And mm. you were 12 years old when you read it. So what? Like mm. if, you, if, you, if it bit you with the reading bug, you graduated on something else. Mm. Like I, I guarantee you 70, 80% of the ladies who read my books, they started reading stuff like Twilight. Yeah. And yeah. You, know, you, you, you grow up, you, you find more complex stories and, and you, your taste will change. But the point is those books, those phenomenally successful titles serve as gateway drugs into yeah. the world of reading yeah. and you'll, and you'll fall in love with the idea of reading and you'll be a reader for life. So yeah, anyone who gives Stephanie Meyer shit is an idiot. Like yeah, whether whether those books were your jam or not, and I've never yeah. read them. Yeah, like I say, so I can't say whether the books are you know skillfully executed or whatnot. But I can say unequivocally they were good. Yeah, I love that. I, I skipped. They were amazingly well. successful. And and once, yeah, I I have a job because of that lady. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. she expanded the market. It's like something else I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, later was Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter. I don't know if you've been following it or. I think I think the thing yeah. is, you know, there were two, obviously two sides, you know, people saying, oh, this is taking money away from other writers. This is like, you know, give someone else a chance and stuff. But my, you know, our perspective was, we did a whole podcast on it was, this is just making, this is growing the pie. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not a zero sum game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. That there's, there's an, yeah, it's a long and complicated conversation. Of course, um, of course. and people and and people who were arguing along that line of reasoning were, were very passionate, very upset about it. But yeah. yeah, it's it's Brandon is Brandon is probably serving a gateway drug function like anybody yeah. else. Yeah. Like yeah. the Expanse is another one that I saw serving as a gateway drug into the yeah. world of science fiction. Like yeah. that was that was the book that you would recommend. If, yeah. if someone was, you know, a Star Wars fan and they wanted to read a book, The Expanse was kind of the knee-jerk reaction that you would recommend yeah. because it was yeah. so big and so popular. Brandon probably serves the same function in that sense. I mean, I've he seen obviously it. serves many functions, but uh, serving as a gateway drug, like a, an easy recommendation for someone yes. who's looking to expand their fantasy repertoire or get into fantasy at all. I've He's an it, easy wreck. I've seen it live. Like maybe 10 of my friends I've sent, you know, read the final empire and they've come back and they've gone, okay, what else can I read after this? And it's just, exactly. now they're full. Yeah, like, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You don't stop. Like you don't read Brandon <laughs> and say, all right, job done. done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to learn how to windsurf now. Like, no, yeah. like if you become a fan of fantasy, there's a million other fantasy titles yeah. out there yeah. to explore. And also so, so many it's things not- are so different as well. Like it's like, you know, I think something that's great about Brandon is that he's, um, I don't want to say vanilla, but he's like, he's palatable, you know, to. He's an easy sell. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Easy sell. Yeah. Um, and then from there yeah. you can like, you can get people to niche down a bit more. Sure. Sure. But uh, like, yeah, he's, he's a, he's a gateway drug. Yeah. Um, and that's no disparagement to him at all. He's of course. probably the most talented writer working in fantasy today. He's mm. certainly the most prolific. Like the work yeah. he does is just next level, next yeah. level. He makes me look like a punk. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he's an easy recommendation. But the point is, that's not where you stop. Yeah. Um, it's it's like Vampire Diaries is a gateway drug into yeah the the world of you know supernatural television. Yeah. Yeah. Twilight was a 
gateway drug for young readers into the world of specfic. Yeah. They, they, all, they all serve as appetizers for what could be a, mm. a lifetime of enjoying yeah. that kind of work. So, yeah, it's, I think it, it's quite limiting and silly to think of <laughs> Brandon having taken all the money. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just, just be happy for you know, the idea that just there is that much desire out there for fantasy the work yeah, is incredibly uplifting for anyone who's writing fantasy. Like there's obviously a massive audience of people out there who love this stuff. That's an opportunity. That's mm-hmm. not a disadvantage. And look yeah. at all the book covers, um, you know, that, have, you know, I think that I was reading the other day that book sales in Australia are up nine, 10%, and they were attributing a lot of it to, to book talkers. And, you, and they've got whole sections in the bookshops now to, devoted to book talk recommendations. And I think, you know, it's an, ama- sure. it's an amazing thing. Yeah. Just yeah. I mean, I, I imagine lockdown probably had something to do with this. Probably. Yeah. 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 House. Um, but yeah I, know, I know a couple of people who have had books become phenomenally. Adam Silvera is a good example of this. He's a YA author. He had a book come out. Oh, God. I could be misquoting figures here, but I believe the book came out like five years ago. It's a book yeah. called We Both, They Both Die at the End. Sorry. Yeah. That was massive. And there was, it, it kind of, it started as a slow burn and kind of became this viral hit on TikTok years after it was published. Yeah. Like it came out and it did its thing and it was sitting on a shelf. And for some reason, and no one knows why, no one knows the alchemy of it, it just struck a chord and people started TikToking about it. And now it has been number one on the New York Times bestselling paperback list for God knows how many months. Like it's so. crushing it yeah. years after it debuted. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no one, no one knows quite how that happened. I'm sure there's a lot of people trying to. Yeah, if, it, if you could yeah. bottle, if you could bottle that, you'd be a rich man, right? Oh yeah, you'd be, yeah. you'd be a very wealthy person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I feel like even though you know the realities of being an author and can be really challenging, I feel like it's still a really exciting time, and that you know stuff is changing and happening with book talk, and even like with Brandon's, you know, Kickstarter, just looking at different ways we can do it. Like I feel like it's an exciting time for people in our craft. Yeah, there's. Yeah, like I said, the internet has has good things and bad things about yeah. it. One of the many good things is it's opened up a lot of different channels and opportunities that didn't exist previously. Yeah, yeah. Mm. you know, if you're publishing, uh, if you're self-publishing or publishing like Kindle Unlimited, or yeah, um, even yeah, even in terms of getting the word out, yeah, you know, on a on a series like Nevernight, like that that book got built on the back of bookstagram you know so cool. tiktok wasn't around back then but it was yeah. it was just bookstagram as a fan artist as well there's yeah. another huge contributing factor like yeah the like, art that like, comes the out art is oh, amazing. Fuck me. It's so yeah like the walls of my study are covered in it um yeah so yeah and that that was all disseminated through instagram and twitter yeah, so yeah so cool. there's a lot more opportunities and a lot there's a lot there's far more ways to get word of mouth out on the street. Yeah. It used to just be, you know, you have to tell a friend yeah. when you when you got to go to the pub. Yeah. Um, but now yeah. there are people out there who have built entire platforms about recommending titles to people. So yeah, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to take one more divergence, which was I heard you say in an interview that you're a big ancient history nerd. Oh. Yeah, massive. Did you and and uh, did you study it at uni or you just in your spare time? Because I've got a math. I've got. No, I'm just- BA and Masters in Ancient History and I'm just because I was like how can I delay being an adult for longer I know I just go and learn about (laughs) history for more and more and more (laughs) I I studied design at university it was just something that I'm interested in and there's only there's only like certain periods and certain places that I 
have any level of expertise in. But yeah, I, one of the things I do tell people is, if particularly if you're writing fantasy, it would behoove you to have a knowledge of ancient history, human yeah. history, because no matter how amazing an idea you have or how weird a thought you have, something more amazing and weird has already yeah. happened over the course of human history. So like, true. Yeah. There's such crazy stuff that has happened. And, you know, even if it's an understanding of how empires rise and fall or how, yeah. how sieges actually work or how, how weaponry works, whatever, yeah. um, it, it'll, it'll help you construct more convincing worlds mm. and it'll give you a, a stronger foundation upon which to tell your stories. Like Game of Thrones is a classic example. Like yeah. Game of Thrones is the War of the Roses and the Dragons. Mm. Well, that's where it started anyway. Yeah. And that's a pretty amazing pitch <laughs> yeah. to your publisher. Like the, the Battle of Blackwater Bay, like the, the Siege of King's Landing in Clash of Kings, that's basically a blow-for-blow blow recounting of Mehmed II's conquest of Constantinople. Yeah, that's cool. Like yeah, it's, straight cool. Up, it's straight up. It's straight up the conquest <laughs> of Constantinople. And like it's, it's all, well, that's where it started anyway. That's the foundation of it. Mm. George is obviously a keen student of history. So, yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're looking to write fantasy, you could – do a lot worse than burning up on your ancient history. And there's amazing resources out there. One of my, oh yeah, one of the YouTube holes that I fell down recently was, I can't remember the name of the channel, but there's so many high quality of, ones out there. I think, yeah, there's, there's great stuff. It's the um, there, are just incredible a, creators. They get a bunch of actual historians in to sit down and dissect like battles on yeah. film. So, yeah, I've um, seen some of those guy, as well. Yeah. There's a guy, Toby Cathwell, I think he does a bunch of videos, which is great. But I saw one where they they reconstructed, you know, the myth of Agincourt, how the the French uh, were defeated by the English long Oh, yeah. Uh, there's goods who got together and built I saw that. Yeah, it was armor. so cool. Yeah. So they built armor as close as they could to the time and a longbow and an arrow as close as they could to the time. And we're just firing shots into this plate mail breastplate to try and pierce it with a longbow arrow, and they just couldn't. Wow. So they just debunked this whole myth Jeez. of English conquest over the French. Just a couple <laughs> of dudes in their backyard. Uh, with a video. I guess the French all just got stuck in the mud or something, didn't they? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's it's almost yeah. become, yeah, the myth is larger than the reality of it. But yeah, yeah. I think you know, the history is an amazing source of inspiration. Yeah, like, you know, I, I've done two senior theses on history and that just, all that does is get you a very narrow look at a very, you know, I, I'm really good on Roman agriculture between 200 and 167 BC, but not so much right. everything. Like I'm only generally, I'm only okay at everything else. So it's like, sure. But you, you'll, have an, you'll have an understanding of, you know, the way the Roman Republic was structured and the Absolutely, way yeah, it was yeah. it was usurped by the Julian dynasty. Of like course. the the Nevin, the Nevinite world building exercise started as a thought experiment about what would happen if Julius Caesar's rebellion against the Senate had failed. Yeah. So he marches on Rome and the senators all flee and he takes the city and then from there he builds a groundswell of popular support and eventually becomes dictator for life. But if that initial march on the capital had failed, what would have happened to his family? Yeah. He had a wife cool. and he had a daughter. Yeah. So that was where Nevernight started. What would yeah. have happened to his family had he failed? And, and actually, from there, I think a, a big expanded. reason that Nevernight hooked me, one was that your voice as an author is incredible and it, it sucks you in. And a second one was, I just, you just don't see ancient Rome on the page that much. I know it's a combination no. of Venice. I love and it. Rome, I love it. Yeah. And I, I, I write 
two of my, my two fantasy novels I've written have both been Roman, and I just feel like I'm like, sure. Where's my other than you? I, I can't really think of that. Where else I've read it? Yeah, it's quite odd. Uh, we're, we're mostly Western Eurocentric middle age mm. fantasy. I guess it, it's all it called comes back to Tolkien. I guess. It's yeah. Sure. Yeah. But like the but one, yeah, there's, there's so many cool things. I mean, the one thing that gets me about I love about Rome is it was a democracy, and you can write fantasy. Well, it was a republic. Not a democracy. But you can you can write fantasy from the perspective of a republic. You don't have to have kings running around all the time necessarily. Or or you can do whatever yeah, you no. they also had kings. I mean they also had emperors. Like you can do it. There's such a sandbox there, which I love. And amazing periods of instability where one mode of government transitions into another. Mm. Like that that's where all the juice usually um, happens. Where the book I'm writing at the moment is um, based on the uh, the Tetrarchy, the four emperors. And I remember sure. I brought it to a writing group once and they're like, it's impossible. It could, there could never be four emperors. And I was like, well, I'm telling you. I'm telling it you did. it happened. It, it did. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm really sorry. It's, it's happened, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that kind of goes back to what I was saying, though. Like, no matter how amazing the structure you're building or how crazy the idea that you're having, chances are it already happened in the yeah. real world. So yeah. if you have a knowledge of how that came about and how it failed, presuming it did, um, that's a really good foundation to kind of build your own world and build your own stories on top of it. So, yeah, bone up on your history. I, yeah. I can't I recommend it enough. And it's just fun as well. It's fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I, the, the Julian dynasty is amazing. Like, if someone yeah. actually made a proper soap opera about that, they tried the HBO the series. series. Kind yeah. Of, yeah, I love that. It's one of my favorite yeah. shows ever. But there's so much more to that story yeah. and that yes. family. Like yeah. you kind of, it, it, there's a lot more to it than Julius and Augustus. I remember, so, do you remember yeah, but we did ancient history in you know, for our HSC in year twelve, and do you remember having to memorize the oh, family the, yeah, tree the family and just being like, oh, oh yeah, no, it's oh crazy. <laughs> I remember I got in trouble. I wrote an essay once on on the women in the dynasty, and the, I just kept getting you know Agrippina's which wrong. Agrippina was <laughs> the Agrippina's mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I was like, oh well, yeah, it's a lot. It but there's a, a lot to build on. And a lot, build a on. lot to take. Yeah, fun. yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a great foundation for fantasy writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so good. Thank you, Jay. I feel yeah. like we've taken up enough we're, of your time, but we're so grateful to just get to chat. So fun. Yeah, yeah no worries at all. Um, well, yeah, it, it was really fun talking to you guys too, and yeah. uh, good luck with the writing. I hope it all goes Thank well. You. Like I say, it's a it's a far more fulfilling way to spend your time than yeah doom scrolling on the twitter so yeah <laughs> and i just want to do a final plug for the books because they are i mean i think you know you hear about all this grim dark stuff maybe that's not for me but for our listeners i love them and amy I'm, loved yeah, them and amy's not, not a, a huge fantasy reader never reads grim dark i think you bounced off blade itself sorry joe um joe's getting hammered today <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I know. <laughs> there's a lot in it and i think particularly without getting too much you know Amy, I mean, we we love the smut as well. Like, love there's a the lot of smut. great smut in there. It's right, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's good. I yeah. love it, Jay. Like, I think it's some of the best written smut I've ever read. And I write smut. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's a real compliment. Thank you. I, I had a weird experience where, yeah, learning learning how to write it was, mm. I, I leaned a lot on my wife and her friends because they're all romance readers. Ah, uh, mm. yeah. So I had them kind of assemble a greatest hits compilation oh i love that uh kind of they put they put like sticky tabs in all these books color-coded for you know whatever deed or who was participating in the deed and i just sat there for three days reading filth it was like a crash course <laughs> in you come uh, out of it you're yeah, like yeah. whoa uh, i have a weird job sometimes yeah for sure, for sure. <laughs>
so I really encourage anyone to get out there. Um, yeah. Even if you don't read fantasy, there are so many things in these books that you'll love. Um, and, you know, I think Jay, as a writer, you, as I said earlier, your voice is so distinctive, so strong. I think just that is worthwhile in itself yeah. as a reader to experience too. Yeah. So Incredible. get out there, buy the books, and I'll leave all the um, all the info in the the notes from the pod. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So thanks so much for that. That is awesome to say. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So grateful. All right. See you guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Jay. So grateful. Have a beautiful rest of your Friday evening. Go chill.